And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're talking Star Trek today. (laughs) (laughs) We are in our element. I love it. I love it. Uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, Four episodes of that. Um, To follow up, last year we talked about the, the original series. And we talked about uh, three episodes there, and um, I don't know why we chose four this time. (laughs) Because we were arm wrestling over who got what. Right, that's too fun. You very kindly backed off of everything I wanted to pick something different. (laughs) Well, they're good episodes, you know. There's not a shortage, it's fun. So that episode is uh, episode 270, where we talked about uh, some of the Star Trek original series. And uh, here we are in episode 296, looking at the next generation. So mm-hmm. the next generation's fun. I, I remember um, when it came out, I was in college. And um, the whole, I, I was living in a dormitory full of engineering students. So we were super cool. Oh, man. And- <laughs> Was there enough room at all around the TV on those nights? It was not. It was the best. Oh, my gosh. It was like, you know, um, I mean, everybody, we we had such mixed feelings, you know, at the time. It was like, um, how can this be good? How can they do this again? Um, you know, because we all loved Star Trek, the original series, so Natch. much, you know, right? So um, I, I just remember, you know... A lot of us were like, oh, this is going to be horrible. And a lot of us were like, I cannot wait to see this. But, of course, everyone showed up. And it, back when TV was, you had to be there at a certain that time. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and go through commercials and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, you know, the, the first episode was actually quite bad. And, oh, it was uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, I didn't care. It yeah, was fine. It was it, Star Trek. I was there. Oh, too fun. Too fun. So, yeah. And then, um, yeah, unfortunately for me, because I was in college at the time, living in a dormitory, um, I didn't catch all the episodes. It was like hit and miss for me, um, simply for schedule reasons. You know, I worked and, and, uh, and all that stuff. So, um, it wasn't really until, um, the best of both worlds, which, uh, was a two-part episode. I think one one half was at the end of season three and the other half at the beginning of season four where it was the Borg episode with uh, <gasps> Picard, right? It's called The Best of Both oh, Worlds. Yes, that was good. Um, that's mm-hmm. when I picked it up again and I was able to watch regularly because I was you know, in an apartment at that time and, and life was much different. <clears throat> but from then on, I, was, I would watch it regularly. So... Um, but loved it. Um, the next generation yeah. overall is just so very good. And for me, I, my family, of course I'm older and, um, I can remember my parents watching it and they made us go to bed or whatever. Mm. So I, we would stand in the hallway and watch <laughs> down the hall where we could see the TV. Oh, wow. And uh, every so often my parents would go, get up, we know you're there. And go, oh, back to bed and then sneak out again. So we just knew it was a mystical, wonderful, magical program. 
And, um, but of course it was in reruns forever and ever. And I watched it and knew all of them. And when the show started up again, there was no trepidation. Me, my whole family, we were so excited. And I remember my mom and I quite often would talk the next day about the episode we had just seen. We'd call each other on the phone. And that was when long distance cost something. So it meant something when we did that. Mm-hmm. And um, But my husband and I watched them. And we watched all of the different Star Trek series up through maybe halfway through uh, whatever... Janeway, Captain Janeway, Voyager, Voyager. Voyager. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought it was called. Anyway, so um, so that's interesting. Um, I have a similar experience there. So I watched um, the Next Generation, you know, pretty much all the way through, and then mm-hmm. I watched um, some of Deep Space Nine, and then I got really into that about halfway through it, and watched the oh, rest yeah. of those as they were coming out. Mm-hmm. And then when Voyager came out. I was pretty excited. I started to watch that. And then I don't know if I just, I was just kind of meh on Voyager and it fell off my map. And then I I didn't pay attention to it. And since then I've watched some, you know, just kind of hit and miss. Um, Like there's an episode called Scorpion, which is another two-parter with Borg in it. In mm. Voyager, it, that I was, you know, the, you know, some people would say, "Have you seen that one? Have you seen that one?" You know, so I would seek that out and look at it. But I, there's still a lot of Voyager I haven't seen. And then Enterprise came on, and I, I, I wanted to like Enterprise so bad. <laughs> I watched too. it we all watched the way the through. I watched, I watched the all of it as it came out, oh, and it wow. was just all this. It was just like. It's just so close. You know what I mean? It's so close to great. I was like, oh, I just, soon they're just going to figure it out and it's going to be awesome. And it it just never quite got there. But I still did like Enterprise. Um, Yeah, yeah. I did too because I really liked Scott Bakula. Yeah. What was he in? Uh, They just Uh, rebooted that. Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Yeah. Um, I really liked Quantum Leap. So I always liked him. But he was another one of those actors who was also almost there. Yeah. You know, just he was being picked for a lot of things, but he never quite transcended whatever into being a bigger TV star. But so we watched the first season and they ended with whatever disaster it was. Uh. Um, And I just went, we started to watch the first show of the second season where it was some nebulous, horrible threat. And we just went you know what, we've got the movies, this is fine, we don't need all this. So, But the origin stories of them finding the Klingons, that was all fun. But yeah, really the solid stuff, I would say, goes through Deep Space Nine, um, which is, we're six, five, six episodes away from finishing Enterprise in our household, and I can't wait to start oh, nice. uh, Deep Space Nine, which was my favorite. Oh, to finish, you're finishing uh, Next Generation, you say. I'm sorry, finishing yep. Next Generation. Yeah. I. Sorry, whatever I said. That's great. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to see if it holds up because it's been interesting rewatching Next Generation, where there's all this modern cultural for the time stuff in there that I didn't recognize because I was also modern cultural right. yeah, and we were certainly in it. Mm-hmm. not Catholic. So I was thinking it all different than the culture. Yeah. And now I realize that I was just, I was part of the culture and that's what I knew. And I didn't know the other, any other way of thinking. And um, it doesn't mean it's bad. I still really like it. We all like it, but it's easier to kind of pick out and go, oh yeah, here's this thread. Hmm. Or, or to say, oh look, they're still defending this way of thinking that's now gone away. 
Yeah, and I think um, as we're going to see in these four episodes, I've always felt, well, since I was aware enough as a Catholic, you know, one of the things that's really great about Star Trek for me personally is I think it does have a fairly Catholic sensibility throughout. Um, There are exceptions, of course, but this, this... the main idea of this optimism about the future, mm-hmm. this uh, feeling that there's going to be a point at which some of these things that we struggle with all the time, might we might transcend those things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And um, I've always really enjoyed that philosophy. It's yeah. one of the reasons why I like Star Trek in the first place. And it's also why the new iterations of Star Trek, which are um, I've sampled all of them, and um, they're really dystopian, and um, you know, even even Star Trek Discovery, if you can imagine, which is a prequel, you know, series. So it's supposed to be taking place right around you know Christopher Pike's time, mm. um, but yet it's it's dystopian and dark, and um, it's 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 not optimistic at all. It's just like you know, humanity is the worst. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it seems to be the point of it, practically. And it's just, it, it's it's not, you know, when people say something is not Star Trek, to me, I, that's what it means when I would say something like that. It's that, mm-hmm. is that there's this optimism about the future, you know, as a, as a young man or, and a kid, you know, I would look to that and think that there was this real optimism about what our future direction is. And this would be a place that I would like to live, you know. Right. Um, but not in these new ones. Even so, uh, discoveries like that, and Picard is even like that. And then um, they have uh, Strange New Worlds, which is about Christopher Pike, and oh, there's yeah. a new Spock and all this other stuff. I have really enjoyed that series, but we'll see where it goes. Um, I've heard that one is mm-hmm. one. I think maybe I've heard. Jimmy Aiken say that? Oh, or, possibly, yeah. Or maybe I know he does Jeff that Miller. Secrets of Star Trek podcast. Jimmy Aiken's on that, and I've yeah. listened to that kind of off and on. Every now and then, I'll listen to an episode, but I haven't heard them talk about Strange New Worlds. But it seems yeah. to be a show that they've they've figured it out. It's like it's episodic. It's it's a throwback in a way to the the original series. There's a lot mm-hmm. of lot of things there and there is this optimism because it's new and it's it's uh it just seems like they've they've figured it out you know there's some comedy there you know so it's fun it's fun to watch Mm -hmm. it's interesting to look at the actors are great um the stories are fun and and like i said it's like a it's like an alien of the week or a world of the week (laughs) kind of like you know it's not like this arc soap opera arc um yeah. And you're the second or third person of very <clears throat> different people, I mean, who've said that. I mean, there's yeah. some other people that I've, maybe on podcasts or something, I don't remember where, but they've, you know, said, oh, no, this is the one to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's so, fun. But I would say it's interesting that you bring up the Catholicity in terms of uh, optimism, because we've talked about that before with the original episode, and I wasn't thinking of that in terms of this because we were kind of more going, oh, yeah, this way Picard's going, well, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't do this. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, the first Star Trek would never have said that. He's being too intellectual. Which, of course, that's why you have people like Riker going, you're being too intellectual. <laughs> um, you know, so they're good foils yeah. for each other. But um, it does make me remember that just in this last week, I have had three different instances 
where I have been the person saying something very optimistic uh, and in about immigration or politics. Mm. And it's each time has been with a different family member, but always one that's not got any faith or maybe just a kind of a vague spirituality. And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms because they'd just be talking about this and I'd go, well, where do you think no Americans are going to come from? You know, legally is good and this and this and this and this. And they go, and after about the third time of something like that coming up, that person was like, I like the way you think. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And because he was kind of, he's very depressed about the cultural state of our country and all this. And then a couple other people were both saying about political stuff that, well, if somebody cares enough to become a politician, that means all they want is power. And that means they're going to become corrupt if they're not already. And I was like, what are you talking about? Are you telling me that nobody does it because they're feeling like they would like to change things for the better, even if you don't like how they want to change it? Yeah. And I was like, mm -hmm. you know, just because we don't have an Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or even what, Harry Truman, Eisenhower, there's people that we can point to who everybody kind of goes, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. those people are still out there on whatever they level. They are, they are, yeah. The Dallas mayor. Great. He didn't think the way I do about some stuff, but he's done such a good job. That's good. And he's always lifting things up, you know, for yeah. everybody. And so I'm like, what is this? And when you said this, I suddenly, and I'm not saying this to make myself sound great but i suddenly realized after about the third encounter i was like oh and i started getting called ned flanders so <laughs> that really pointed it out to ned me flanders, i was like <laughs> i was like well i'll i'll take that then if that's how you uh, want to make fun of me but it was the thing of just going oh that is part of the way my faith is making me look at things just going it can be better and yeah. we can help make it better because you know no matter how bad it is we've got that foundation Right. There's God, there's yeah, faith. Exactly. And I think with that comes an optimism, you know, a general optimism yeah. of our future, yeah. um, you know, as, as, a, as a people and, you know, personally, right? You know, we know right. the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, we've read it. the book, as they say in uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know, we've yeah, read the book, it. so we know what the end is, you know, yeah. and we know that uh, what will triumph. Um, and you fight the good fight. Yeah, yep, exactly. And some, and there's people out there doing that. You know, if all you're yeah. looking at is the stuff the news is showing you, you're not going to see that. Right, and that's the thing, you know. And the and the news, the, the the tough thing about the news is that it's for profit, right? So they want to emphasize things that will make you anxious or or whatever to get you to read the paper or to get you to watch the thing, you know. So there there's a tendency for sensationalism, and. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you can read this news and you have this swirling chaos around you, but you step outside and in your daily life, you might not have, I mean, your chaos is going to be different, right? But it's right. like, uh, you know, you can see, it's like an island of gentle people, like where you're living, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's right. like, okay, the rest of the world is crazy, but you know, um, I, th I think that we get that way. And certainly with Twitter and everything like that, um, the, this well, amplification of the chaotic voices is and that's why a tough it is, thing. Right. Nice to be reminded by watching something like this and you reminding me. Yeah. That, you know, there it's okay. There's a whole show 
series of things mm-hmm. up to a certain point where that's what you should feel like. Right. Why wouldn't you feel like that? And yeah, think of how many yeah. people this has formed and and continues to form. Yeah. And, and the United States itself is, you know, just one more point before we get into these episodes yeah. is, you know, the United States itself is an experiment in self-government, right? It's supposed to be, it's something different from what the world had done before this creation of this country. And the idea is that there's progress in the country where someday we would have a government that we can be proud of and that that's achievable. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and there are people that have the right thing in mind uh, when they're making decisions. You know, that's what we want of our bishops. That's mm-hmm. what we want of our politicians, right? Mm-hmm. We're not getting that all of the time. And But it's, it's the idea that that is achievable um, is, is something else Star Trek gives, right? And then, unfortunately, as time went on in Star Trek, you know, the writers running out of ideas perhaps or whatever, but then you get back to this, you know, well, the government is now going to be an enemy again. You know what I mean? But yeah. But I really like the government as a as a partner, right? Where mm-hmm. whoever's ahead, whoever's the admiral over Captain Picard is not making decisions that Captain Picard has to rebel against. You know what I mean? <clears throat> it's It's the idea that someday we could achieve a government in which everybody there has the right things in mind is the idea. And I, and I well, like that in, in Star Trek as well. And also when you bring that up and that's a good point, they are all following these prime directives. Hmm. They all have the same goal. And like you say, the government isn't one that Captain Picard has to disagree with, but these admirals, they often have disagreements and they often are both trying to achieve their version of the prime directive. Yeah. So that's also the optimistic way of looking at it. I mean, he's under orders. He's in the military. So sometimes he has to do things or find ways around things or, mm-hmm. or look at what's been revealed yep. and kind of adjust to how things are and try to show people. But it also shows kind of a, a good kind of conflict. Not always. Sometimes people just have, you know, like all people, right? They're selfish. They have their own agenda. They do whatever. But it also shows that you can still work in the system and fight against that stuff and come up with an equitable outcome. Hmm. And how often do we see that in a TV show? Yeah. It's kind of like the twirling mustaches of the evil guys. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and the good guys, no one's allowed to be a hero. Right. Yeah. And then the typical plot in our society today uh, would be that the government is evil and uh, you know, it's going to need to be fought against, you know, something like that. Right. Rather than uh, the assistance. <laughs> right. Um, but that, that's, the, you know, we see that story over and over and over and over again. And um, Star Trek is kind of against that grain. Yeah. At least a lot of it was, you know. They, they did go into some of that. Well, but it's something that I've already yeah. appreciated. Yeah. And nothing's perfect. Right. But this is a, this is, this whole series, these seven episodes, I guess, they do follow the Star Trek model. Yeah. So, they do. I like it. Yep, I like it too. So, the first one, we're, we're going to talk about these in the order that they were released. And Yesterday's Enterprise is the first one, and it's from season three. It was uh, written by, it looks like, Iris Stephen Bear, Richard Manning, uh, Hans Beamler, and Ronald Moore. Ronald Moore had a, a really nice effect on Star Trek. In fact, I think... 
uh, Deep Space Nine is something he was involved in quite a bit, oh. if I remember right. Um, but he also did uh, Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> the remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yesterday's Enterprise is cool to talk about first because it, it ties back into this, this Star Trek we talked about last time, kind of. <laughs> okay. Um, a little bit after that, right? So um, Star Trek takes place, Star Trek The Next Generation is in the 24th century and it's following, you know, the crew, uh, Captain Picard and its crew are on the Enterprise D, right? So this is the, oh, yes. the actually the fifth iteration, right? Because the original Enterprise didn't have a, a dash D or any, or a dash A. We got a dash A after the Enterprise was destroyed in, uh, I guess that's a spoiler, <laughs> in one I of don't. the Star Trek movies. <laughs> okay. I was like, uh, yeah. okay, are right. we talking movies or TV? Yeah, Anyways. it was in movies, right. So Kirk. It started with A, wouldn't it be B? No, Gosh. well, that's what they did. Federation. They did a, they did a right. 1701A, yeah. No, get it. it see, they're not perfect <laughs> in the future. That's anyway, right. Anyway, go that's ahead, too continue. Funny. Too Please funny. continue. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so in, in, in this episode, uh, the Enterprise is kind of flying along and it, it detects this rift in space-time. <laughs> and... Um, through the rift comes the USS Enterprise C, which is what? the ship before the Enterprise D, right? And as soon as it comes through the rift, something happens. It's suddenly the the Enterprise becomes more of a war vessel. You know, they, they do it with lighting and and a little mm-hmm. bit of stuff. But the most the most apparent thing is the appearance of Tasha Yar. And Tasha Yar is a character who was the head of security who um, actually died in season one. So um, so they brought her back, and suddenly she's in charge of security on the Enterprise. And Worf, who is a Klingon, uh, who is the head of security on the Enterprise at before this change occurred, is disappeared. Nobody knows who Worf was. And and it's not like they're like, where is Worf? Every, everything changed. It's like the timeline <laughs> changed. Uh, right. Picard is now a different person. He's, a, you know, uh, he's a, in a, he's a captain of a ship in the time of war. And, um, they've been fighting with the Klingons for a long, long time. So yeah. this Enterprise C is, had the heck, beat out of it. <laughs> um, captain Rachel Garrett is the captain of the enterprise C and she is hurt, uh, quite, you know, profoundly. She's, she's, uh, you know, the, they need to run her to sick bay and all that good stuff. So, um, but the enterprise C, what, what they figure out is that the enterprise C played a key role in stopping the conflict with the Klingon empire back when they were in a battle that they had just left at a place called Narinda three. And they, that's what they had just been in the middle of. And somehow they were in this time rift that threw them in forward. And, um, because they didn't complete what it was that they were going to do, um, the war continued. So now they're faced with the thought that, the Enterprise C needs to go back through the rift, back into the battle, and they're not going to win, but their sacrifice will mean the end of a war. 
It will not be in vain. It will not be in vain, yeah. So that well, is the conundrum before Captain Rachel Garrett and her crew. Yeah, and the key element to this, to them knowing there's any possible other outcome than the world they live in, yeah. is that Guinan is mm-hmm. on board, and she's not. She, she's played by Whoopi Goldberg most wonderfully, but she only is featured every so often, of course, when they need her. But she runs the bar, but she and Captain Picard have a very long, old friendship, and Captain Picard has learned to trust her, and she just instantly says, things aren't the way they should be. Something's wrong. Mm. And the one thing, and she keeps telling this to Captain Picard. She's like, I don't know what he's like, well, what should we do? What is it? What's wrong? I don't know. I just know this. And so basically what she does figure out is she's never met Tasha Yar before. Right. And um, right. so she shouldn't be here. And some somehow she knows it, right? Yeah. And somehow mm. just a, an intuitive feeling. And of course, Guinan is from a race of people that were long scattered or a, not a race of people, aliens, people, essentially, true aliens, who have other powers or knowledge or whatever than humans. And so, therefore, she can trust her intuitions more. She can hold on to maybe some, a few of these memories a little differently. And that's one reason her counsel is considered wise, hmm. as well as she's a wise person because she's extremely old. Yeah, she's been living a long, long time. So, mm. yeah, so with the episode... I you picked it. Yes. But but as I was watching it, um I was struck by one well two things especially, but the thread of what is a necessary sacrifice mm. even when we think it is meaningless. Yes. And that was mm-hmm. so catholic. I, to I me. totally agree. That's that's exactly what was in my mind. Oh, okay. Other than it being awesome. Well, then. it's a great <laughs> it is a great episode, so mm. well acted and executed, and I have to say that because of that theme of sacrifice, that at the end, when Captain Picard is holding the line so the other enterprise can get away, um I actually had tears coming to my eyes because oh, they knew awesome. they yeah. were making a ne- a sacrifice that they hoped was necessary, but they didn't know. Right. They were just trying with all it's their hearts to do... a little bit of do... faith there, isn't it? Well, it was absolutely <laughs> taking it on faith that Guinan's intuitions were things they should do in good faith, as you say. And I was just sitting there, I was almost crying out mm. loud. I mean, I it, it was yeah. so powerful. It was really powerful. And that is something that hit me as I watched it this time, that exact moment. is like, not only were the people going back to the battle on the Enterprise C sacrificing, but Picard was sacrificing the Enterprise D. Um, He was doing his part. (laughs) You know what I mean? It wasn't like, okay, you guys go, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. He was all in. Yeah, the things were exploding. That was it. They were done. I mean, they were staying. Hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, it it was because mm-hmm. there there were four Klingon ships. They're starting it out. No one knew what you know. What they knew is they can't beat those. Yeah, one ship to one ship. Absolutely right. Yeah. So, I, I guess I hijacked. Uh, no, no, that's perfect. And then did you say there was say? a second thing? Oh, my second thing was Guinan's experience with these intuitions. Mm. And kind of thinking about them and telling people so that they could then maybe act on them. And so 
The second thing was, this is like being a faithful Christian who's trying to get Uh. to know God better, but also living your life in the everyday world. And, you know, usually you're just starting off the morning, maybe, or I do, with some prayer going, okay, so when I'm not thinking about you during the day, just help me out because, you know, I'm not stopping in key moments going, hold on, Mm. what's the wise way to answer this? I'm blurting out something. And so the fact that they're, she's willing to go to Picard, of course, that says a lot about the trust. And he's putting, staking everything on her intuition. So this is how we build a relationship with God, right? Hmm. You pay attention, something's a little obvious. You kind of go, well, it could be this, but it happens again some other way. And I'm like, so this is that being a person of faith. Why do you make this sacrifice? Why do you do this other thing? Yeah, it looks dumb to right. others. And trusting it enough to act. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's a really great thing. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, if there there are times in in life you know where I feel connected, you know, more connected than other times. But mm-hmm. you know, the idea is that you you keep praying and you keep um, connecting. You know, um, you stay connected. <laughs> I, I'm I'm reminded of. You know, when I went to Rome, I went to confession in Rome one time, and mm. and the uh, the priest said, um, "You need to stay connected, right? Don't forget, always stay connected." You know, mm. and I've I've tried to be, you know, all that time, but the thing is that there are times when you feel like you are, and um, when you get these promptings, um, acting on them and trusting them um, can be challenging. Um, yeah. But, you know, just like what Diamond's <sighs> doing there. I mean, she she knew she was saying, you know, you had to send these people back. And um, that's no minor thing, right? Um, and, and the stuff that I'm dealing with is certainly more minor than that. But it's still, you know, it can be personally uncomfortable. But, yes. um, but yeah, trusting those instincts, trusting those promptings. Um, yeah, this is a good model for that. Right. Yeah, I love it. And I liked how um, in this series too, uh, stepping away from the Catholic piece for a minute, um, you know it, how how it was just so great how they did it when they when they um, you know had those old uniforms and everything. You know, yeah. it was like these are the uniforms from yeah. the Star Trek movies. Um, yeah. So uh, it was just really great how they do that. Um, you know, and uh, how how they were able to connect this. You know, that, that's another reason, you know, the, enough with the prequels already, you know. I, I yeah. love, you know, let's move forward in time and then nobody's going to argue about whether it fits or not. And then, you know, you can always look back with these great stories like this. But it was a, it was an inspired story, no doubt. Um, it was really, really good. And I think it's one when I was just glancing over the Wikipedia page as I was going, what season was it in? Yeah. Um, the It got worked on a lot. For a lo- over a long time by all these different writers, one after the other, maybe, mm-hmm. because they, they they liked the idea, but they wanted to make sure it was right. And it's funny, you know, I noticed the older uniforms, but as you're speaking about it, what it makes me remember is that's just an outward symbol that they were unable to move forward with any other progress because they're mired down in this war. Right, Yeah. They're, they're having to turn all their attention, all their progress to it. They're talking about, look at all the things we've come up with. When they're showing the captain, the other captain, Rachel Garrett, what 
we we've done now we can fit your ship up with this and that and the other thing but it's all in the service of war hmm. nothing is in the service of new exploration it's all being used for one thing right yeah so there's a lack of freedom there there absolutely is yeah this yeah i mean many people have talked about that you know it's you know in our personal lives too this this uh, attachment is what they call it right you know, mm-hmm. this attachment that takes away from freedom. So whether yeah. it be your stuff, you know, whether it be some people, <laughs> I mean, there are certain things that, that are just holding you, you know, like the the, the people that are around you. Um, and, uh, you know, most often I think for us in this modern world is um, just the, the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, how not having stuff, this asceticism actually is just freeing. So, you know, those who practice that, that's what they talk about is you're putting yourself into a place where um, you can think less about your needs, in quotes, <laughs> and more about God, because your needs aren't actually needs. Well, um, and also, when you mention asceticism, I, I want to mention, too, that asceticism, in this sense you're talking about, it isn't necessarily get rid of everything you own and live like a monk in the desert. It is, I think, in hand in hand with the intuition we were talking about, it's mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So, how do you stay connected with God? You have to be mindful, like maybe you do the examine every day. How did my day go? Gosh, I wish I'd have done this differently, but that went well, you know? So, you're kind of checking in on that level too, on yourself. And sometimes that means mindfulness over do I need to buy every book I enjoy reading? Mm. Should I try rereading it once or twice to make sure that's something I need to own? Right. Can I get it mm-hmm. from the library? Now, of course, I'm everybody's like, oh, Julie and her books again. But, you know, it can come down to, um, I was talking about Christmas presents to my husband. I was like, he's got this nice job. He's not treated himself with anything. I was like, what about every time we walk by TVs at the store? He's like, look at that one. Ooh, this one. And I was like, why don't we get a new TV? I mean, Mm. we've had this one for years and years and years. And he said, without stopping to think about mindfulness, he said, but in three or four days, we'll be used to it. Hmm. Our TV is perfectly good. It's plenty big enough. All the things, he goes, if it breaks, that's one thing. But just to get it to get the new flashy thing, it won't be a lasting change in my life. And I was like, wow, you <laughs> are an amazing man. Because yeah, I really see the great. look in your eyes when you look at that TV. <laughs> and um, that's the kind of mindfulness that helps us enjoy the things we have, or even getting something new, but also stay connected. Hmm. Don't you think that's yeah, the asceticism you're talking exactly about, which is. is the, yeah. 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 We're not all called to, to wear a habit and uh, get rid of everything. You know what I mean? Amen. And that's the thing. We're not, <laughs> I mean, we're honestly not called to that. I mean, we look to those folks, in my opinion, we look at them as examples. I mean, they help us remember what's important. I think yeah. they, they remember the, the, you know, this, this average person, um, looking at a, a monk who is, um, some type of an extreme ascetic, let's say that person has things to say to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And what it has to say is that a lot of the stuff that you think is so important isn't right. And 
that's that's asceticism right there. I mean, but everything that you're saying is absolutely right. You know, it's it's um, <clears throat> you know making sure that you're not attached to things that uh, weigh you down, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what Lent is all about, you know. And here we are. We're just uh, uh, moving into Advent. <clears throat> you know where we're we're doing this, you know, penitential time in preparation for Christmas. Right. We ought to be looking at that stuff, you know. Yeah. Looking at what's important to us, what we own. Um, that's asceticism. Just being mindful, like I like that word, but just being aware of it. You know, that's what uh, the contemplative life is too. Just means that you're thinking about this stuff, right? It's it's like something that's in your mind. Um, you know, right. reading and thinking. Yeah. Well, and that's in a very broad sense, because I'm listening to you and thinking about this TV show, is that ties back into the first thing that we liked, which almost everybody you encounter that's a main character has to practice a certain sort of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. In their cases, it's lives, you know, and they don't know what the outcome will be. But it's that thing of you're giving this thing up because this better thing might happen. Mm. And whether it's, you know, of course, it's very, it sounds dumb to say culling out your DVDs or your bookcase or your whatever. Um, But it's the same thing. It's sacrificing something and they're doing it on a big level. But, you know, Rachel Garrett is like, nope, we're going to do this thing. She dies before they even get to undertake their mission. Is it senseless? Not necessarily, because then they send back Tasha Yar, who says, I'm told by Guinan that de- death I die in the other timeline is senseless. We'll see that sets her up for this. And it is senseless death, and they're kind of protesting what the writers did or wish <laughs> that she left the show or whatever it is. Uh-huh. So there's another thing going on there, but it's... You know, it's also, she's like, but I want my death to be worth something. Mm. That's the mindfulness and, you know, what do I want my life to be? Yeah, yeah. And there's the people on the Enterprise C. We're going to go back and we're going to give the best fight we can possibly give. So we set the example to the Klingons that we care about this stuff mm-hmm. yeah. from the Romulans, protecting them from the Romulans. There's, of course, the Enterprise, who we expect this from. But you've got people like Riker, who, interestingly, he and Picard do not seem to have a good relationship. They're snapping at each other the whole time. And um, I thought that was really interesting. We don't get a backstory. We don't have to. They just come from different places right now, and they don't like each other. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, how how their relationship had changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's subtle, but it's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but Riker's going to follow the orders. Mm -hmm. Picard's going to trust Gein into the bitter end, even though it seems dumb. Yeah. Everybody else is ready to follow because that's what they do loyally, and they all die. Right. Yeah. And the most poignant thing, of course, is, and the most realistic, I think, is that nobody understands when it's changed to the warlike atmosphere, and nobody understands when it changes back. They just go, "Uh uh-huh. It's yeah. gone. So yeah. that was weird. I, I just had a weird feeling. Right. Yeah. And Guinan <laughs> yeah. is the only one who kind of stands there and goes and talks to Jordy about, tell me about Tasha. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. She's yeah. The Guinan, Guinan seems to have that extra dimension to her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. You know, Star yeah. Trek over over time has just made time travel way too easy. The, these oh, kind yeah. of stories where you know there's this something that you know and uh, something that's uncontrollable is sending someone through time. I think I, I like those, but they've they've made. Uh, you know, time travel, you know, you zip around the sun and, you know, and, oh, I know. and go back in time. So it just made it too easy. Um, yeah. But, you know, and I don't know if this is a particularly Catholic viewpoint, um, you know, as in, is it stated anywhere or anything like that? But this, this idea of multiple universes, so <laughs> multiple, multiple universes <laughs> where, I mean, that there are multiple universes, you know, is a math thing. Um, yes. understanding, you know, and there might be multiple universes. Um, but I, I, I reject the thought that there's multiple me's and, uh, you know, yeah. the, the fact that every time I make a decision, the universe branches, um, and there's a me that made that decision in existence somewhere. I, I, I'm not with that. And, and I, I'm mentioning that only because Star Trek does that. It doesn't do that in this episode. I mean, that's going to bring us off on a whole other tangent, I guess. But, um, yeah, but there was here an it didn't episode do that. where they did it, and it was Worf, who was somehow traveling through parallel universe after parallel yeah. universe. So, and it was entertaining in the sense that you saw possibilities for him. Mm. But it was... It was just kind of an exercise in here's what could happen to Worf now. Here's what could yeah. happen to him now. Here's, you know, maybe this will open up ideas for him later, and that's all fine. But, um, but yes, largely it's it's effectively used here. It's effectively used in oh gosh, what is it called? The one that we talked about with Joan Collins in it from oh, the first the Star gate, Trek, uh, yeah, Guardian Gateway. on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, Guard, that's it. Or, so yeah. um, I'm that sorry, was that, effectively the Guardian of Forever. It's yeah. The edge. Yeah. <laughs> okay. City on the edge of forever. There it is. City we, on the edge of forever. It has a guardian. Yes. They're on the edge of, <laughs> right. of the. Looks like they're on the edge of the world. There's so guardians. We're go there's with that. edges. This. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's things and there's time travel, but it's effectively yeah. used when it's just you know as we understand the story device in order to set up this situation, and it's what the characters do with their lives, their actions that matter there. Yeah. And right. um, this is a worthy successor to that, I would say. I would say so, too. And the things it shows us. So, so anyway, anything yeah. else? Or? No, no, I think that's great, you know. Okay. And, and I do like, you know, in science fiction in general, the, the, the time travel story, like here, it's being used to show you, you know, how something would turn out if something changed. I mean, mm -hmm. this whole alternate history and stuff like that. I enjoy those stories. Um, I think yeah. both the ones you picked have that theme. That's they do, interesting. Yeah. 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 Very good. But in such different ways. So anyway, Very, yeah. I'm jumping ahead. Never mind. <laughs> I love What's it. What's next? Um, yeah, Darmak and Jalad at Tanagra. <gasps> oh, that's mine. <laughs> oh, what's funny is, uh, isn't it crazy? So the, the three <laughs> that we have left to talk about are Darmok, Iborg, and the Inner Light, and they're all in season five. Go what figure. What a season. How, yeah, that was, that was unintentional, but... Cool. Yeah. 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 So Darmok is the name of this episode. Oh yeah. What happened? Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> I love it. Well, the funny thing is, uh, to anybody listening, Scott and I were talking about what episodes in email, and he just starts spouting the. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> these allegorical statements that the aliens will use to express <laughs> themselves. And I was like having to go, you know, I was like, well, I, that one I remember, but oh no, <laughs> let me look up. And to answer him, I was having to go look for, okay, mm. so from this episode. <laughs> and eventually we were coming up with new little ones ourselves. Oh, because right. Because it's like yeah. a fun game. It is you a know? fun game, yeah. I think yeah. this came up um, in our email with each other when we talked about Gilgamesh one time. Yes. Um, on the podcast, yeah. Early on. Early on, yeah. Too far. And I will say that when we talked about Gilgamesh, our pastor said, well, now don't forget that episode of The Next Generation, where Picard tells the story of Gilgamesh. I'm like, your mind is amazing. What is going on in there? Oh, I love it. So definitely there's Catholicism all over this thing. For so, sure. Um, yeah, so I picked this one because of, um, well, for one thing, Whoever thought up this idea of meeting a race of people who communicate entirely in allegory, and they make clear their brains just work differently. Mm. So this isn't like they just chose this. And all the objections I've ever heard to this not being logical, this not working, I'm like, it falls down before their explanation of they're absolute aliens. They think on a different level, and they think differently about lives and story. And I was instantly attracted because, for one thing, we talk about story that way. Right. We have to, we have to use our human words and our small ideas to get there. But <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for the big picture. Mm. And the other thing was that I absolutely love is that the Enterprise is not the superior race coming in here going, well, We'll help these people out now that we've left them a power generator and, you know, some ideas about this. They'll be just fine. Yes, yes. They don't do that consciously, but watching this episode, I realized how often that tends to be the case, even if we're all equal here. <laughs> and I was like, this time, they're the ones going, these people are incomprehensible. And um, they are. And yeah. they are condescending through the kindness of their hearts, to try to make friends with the people of the Enterprise. And you're just like, oh, okay, this is new. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, and I did like that. It was this, this awkward conversation, um, you know, between the bridge of the Enterprise and the bridge of this other ship where they're, you know, Picard's saying things like, hey, do you think we should have some kind of an agreement, you know, a non-aggressive pact? And they have no idea <laughs> what he's saying. They're looking at each other like, oh, these yeah. people. And then, uh, yeah, and then he just, you know, says things back, you know. So it's, it's just, uh, it, it it made the the uh, enterprise folks look a little silly, right? You know, I know mm -hmm. that they're trying to figure it out, but the thing is, you know, it's silly both ways. But, but I like well, what you're yes. saying is that we weren't the the. Uh, the all-knowing people saying, you know, hey, what you guys need to do is adjust to what we do, and yeah. therefore you can be awesome too. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> you know and I mean? to be fair, they don't always do that. But it, yeah. it did. This one hit me so differently. It made me sit back and think of how many times that does happen. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, so the basic story is they're are they they're deliberately trying to encounter these people yeah they're 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 having their up, first contact like relationships yeah simply first contact talking with back them. and forth you know trying to right. figure each other out yeah and data or whoever says okay well all the notes say from all our trained negotiators say <laughs> they are incomprehensible and they're just like well that also there's like huh 
that's odd. Mm. How could that be? You know? Yeah. And surely they are. They're saying things like, you know, Darmok and Gelada Tanagra, and looking at them like, and you say? There's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know what these words are, man. Yeah. And so then you see the captain and his first officer having a fight using all these kinds of phrases to each other. And then the captain, and uh, Captain Picard, is just beamed off the Enterprise and to the planet below, and so is the captain of their ship, and they don't understand what happened, but there's some diffusion thing, so they can't find them to pick up and transport back. Every time they try something to go get them, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, Georgie's like, well, maybe we could gobbledygook, gobbledygook. <laughs> Well, do that. Yeah. It's going to take a few hours. Okay, we'll do it faster, says Riker. Because <laughs> Riker's like, I've had it with you people. Yes. But they're clearly equally technically adept, too. Right. So they're able to thwart most of their efforts to do anything. And, yeah. and I thought it was fascinating. So, you know, yeah. Darmok is like, we need to have this shared experience. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, what essentially comes out. So basically, the captains, two captains are down there. And Captain Picard's got nothing, and not that the other captain has much, but he's willing to share things. And through this kind of first encounter, primitive way of talking, he'll, you know, offer him something and say, um, Timba, his arms wide. Yes. (laughs) And Picard's like, you've got a knife in one hand. Uh, Do you want to fight? I'm unarmed, you know? (laughs) And it's, and it's, it's also making him sound more low level because he's very practical about it. And this guy is being, as as we come to understand, he's just being more high-level and open-minded and generous about the thing. Kind of going, oh, that didn't work. All right, well, back to my fire. Let me think some more. <laughs> and and there's a common foe. There's some native, weird, uh, very powerful uh, animal slash electrical being slash invisible man, whatever beast that's can attack them. So they're going to have to work together. And through the phrases... Picard starts to pick up some of the um, story that these phrases come from. And um, we also get that, which is really fun because we're learning along with Picard, of course. Hmm. You know, the thing about Temba, or no, uh, Darmok was on the ocean. And he comes to Tanagra and Jalad was on the ocean. Oh, so they're on an <laughs> island. Yeah. And they, you know, this happens. Oh, so they fight together. Yeah. Yes. You know, this happens. <laughs> right, and right. then, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. I really yeah. liked that. Me too. I thought, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. Just having this idea of these, this different way of thinking <clears throat> and this whole dependence on story, you know? So in mm-hmm. their society, I would imagine that the sharing of stories is vitally important, right? Paramount. That they all have some commonality of this mythology. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to communicate at all. Right. And and that is an allegory for our society today, you know, um, or just, just humanity itself. You know, we, we have these shared stories. And, and I think we've said it on this podcast before, but I think probably the – the prevailing shared story of our time right now is probably movies. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, possibly like the, the, uh, Marvel cinematic universe, for example, it's like, we you know, we can, we can tell stories from there. It's like, we, we all share that, you know what I mean? And as Christianity, yeah. you know, we're, we're a religion of that story 
of the story, you know, um, the yeah. word, the word, and you know yeah. this this commonality that we have of the the stories of of the Bible. So, um, and we communicate to each other all the time about that. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, we use it using, as examples. And, um, <clears throat> code. Yeah. You know, they're using a kind of allegorical code. Essentially, they right. say metaphor, but I was reading somebody going, "Well, metaphor is this." They're t- doing allegory. You know, oh yeah. yeah. So, but I was like, oh yeah, that. And the example they use on the show is a good one because everybody in Western culture, including younger people, still understand Romeo and Juliet on the balcony. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And yeah. the thing yeah. I liked about that was. Um, because I've also seen people going, well, you couldn't communicate all these things. And I'm like, there are so many levels of context, even to a simple story. I don't know if younger people still know about, you know, the George Washington and the cherry tree. Yeah. Because yeah. now, of course, everybody goes, oh, that was a myth. But the fact that you know it's a myth means you know the story. The myth is that George Washington was always such a good, wonderful person that when he was a little boy, he got a new axe and he chopped down the cherry tree. And he's asked, and he says, I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down the cherry tree. Well, you find out that's a myth. and But you still have to know the story to know it's a myth. Yeah. So when you say that, there's the actual kid who won't tell a lie. There's the actual um, temptation of using your new axe, even when you know you probably shouldn't chop the tree down. There's the the young child growing up into a noble hero. There's... What do we do when we discover that's a myth? I mean, there's all kinds of layers of understanding for an American. Yeah. You can come into the story at any one of those entry points. And if you hear that story mentioned in a certain conversation, you know the context. You know what they're talking about. Right. I just thought that it, it allows for so much. And Christians do it all the time. Oh, Well, we're doing time. it now. Yeah. Right. But yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah, we do it, you know, through 200 and however many episodes. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. You know, so it's this idea that you can say, you know, uh, let's say, uh, what, yeah, Kiazi's children, their faces wet. <laughs> and how much that that conveys this deep meaning, even though we're not positive of that story, it's mm-hmm. like we fill that thing in. We know yeah. what that story could be, you know, and we understand Sukhoff, it. And his eyes uncovered. I yeah. get it. It's like, yeah, it's just this depth uh, that's, you know, this depth that's given because that sentence is a story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's beautiful. What a great idea. Well, yeah. And we we really are storytelling animals is we one are, book yeah. I've read. Was In the beginning titled. was the word. I mean, yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, and the other thing that I really love is about this episode is we're hearing incomprehensible stories from ancient days when they're looking these up on the ship and maybe finding connection. It's like this is from thousands of years ago or however long ago, maybe a thousand years ago, whatever. And the story that Picard tells in return is one that's the oldest known story of mankind that's written down. Mm, yeah. I mean, written down the longest ago or something like that. Right, yeah. Yep. And so he's telling the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Mm-hmm. Or Enkidu. I yep. can't remember how you say it. Anyway. Yeah, you bet. Uh, this is a story that most people have never heard. I hadn't heard it until I heard this episode and rewatched it with my family. And then, of course, and then you and I read the book. Mm-hmm. But nobody knows this if you, you're not one among those people. 
They don't even know what Gilgamesh is. They said something to my mom, and she goes, well, what's that? Because mm. why would anybody normal, you know, just regular life know that kind of thing? Sure. So yeah. they mm. picked something just as obscure to open up. And then they have Picard reading, is it the Iliad or the Aeneid or some very old Greek story at the end when he's like, it occurs to me that we need to be more familiar with our old classics. And I'm like, <laughs> good for them. Yes. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that is a nice thing about Star Trek, you know, so, you know, yeah, the, playing an instrument is important. Yeah, Classical but, music yeah. is important. Books All these have always been important. important. Yeah. Right. And Shakespeare kind of runs through the series, right. all of them, you know, and, right. um, yeah, even in the next generation, we had uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Um, you know, some of that stuff. Yeah, but it's all, yeah, it's just great. When you lose those things, of course, you're on the other side. You don't know what you've lost. But when you discover them again, or maybe if you're lucky, you've learned them all along, you go, oh, yeah. there's all this stuff I never heard of, but it's really cool. Yeah. It's part of cool. our heritage. And it's got right. things to yeah. tell us because we are storytelling people. We understand that. Yeah, and in no. the United States, we've got lots of heritages, <laughs> lots yeah. of people from from uh, different traditions with different stories, and um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, right. Because modern authors, especially in fantasy or science fiction, will take some of the threads of those other heritages and then weave them into a brand new story. It may still call back to the old story, mm -hmm. but it's using characters who are clearly from those. If you know, and people tell you, Oh, using Hindu mythology, this, yeah, and you go, yeah. Oh, and you might start actually reading it and understanding it or looking at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on in fantasy right now, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that captain was willing to put his life on the line to try to communicate. Yes. In fact, he dies, mm -hmm. but it's worth it to him. Yeah. He seems satisfied when he's hearing the story of Gilgamesh. <laughs> he does. You know, we're communicating. Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. And the first mate thinks it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And Picard's able to talk to him. Yeah. Right. After his experience. That was, yeah. a, ni that was a really nice scene. When um, you know Picard gets back on the bridge and talks to that other guy, yeah, yeah, really good he says stuff. Picard and Dathan at El Adrell. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the new part of the story that's going to be told now. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What a great concept and uh, so well pulled off. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, Paul Winfield. Yeah, Mwah. he did. A he good played job. the captain. Such yeah, a great he's work. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's cool. Um, good. Good, good. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Well, we better. We better, yeah. <laughs> we have to give each of them five minutes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> this one on is on. fun. This one is fun. I, Borg. Oh. Also in season five. Some quick background on Borg. Borg are a species that seems to fairly mindlessly, they're driven to assimilate other species into their collective. And they operate much like we would envision maybe like an anthill operating where you have some type of collective consciousness that is sending them forth 
uh, with purpose, you know, and, and, and with that is, it's horrifying. Um, and there was an episode, I mentioned earlier, the best of both worlds in which, um, the Federation encounters the Borg and, uh, Picard actually gets taken by them and, um, eventually, you know, recovers, but that, that's a fantastic show to see. It's a two-parter. It's like a two-hour movie. Um, that's it's really good. Probably the some of the best Star Trek that there is. Mm-hmm. But um, but we need that well, background also, to talk about this one. So also one other thing that's important is they are the uh, computer or robot. Yeah, slash cyborg. Computer. Right? Yeah, cyborg. Okay. Yeah, so they're and they're a combination yeah. of they have organic elements. And they have the well, like data, really, I guess, um, except data is more sophisticated. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, or just different. Um, but yeah. yeah, they're partly mechanical in that right. way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and a cyborg partly, is like a, a biological being that's got enhancements that are digital, or it can be whatever. Digital. Um, yeah. Computer. Computer oh, enhancements. Okay. Right. All right. And data right. is actually artificial. One hundred percent. He's oh, okay. He's a android that was built from scratch. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Silly me. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. So these ones. Right. I mean, they're pretty. They're violated. You know. So like, you you have members of all kinds of different species that the Borg have encountered and just assimilated. And assimilation means basically robbing them of identity and forcing them to be part of this collective by doing implants and such. So they do all these kinds of implants and now they're like a drone, uh, part of the, part of the board collective. So one of the most chilling images, and this isn't ruining those two episodes that you mentioned at all is of the nursery where there's all the babies and Mm. they're starting to have these little implants put on them. So it's made very clear that they have to start with the organic being yeah and then all the enhancements are put but by the time they're done they're really more machine than man and because of the the communication as you're saying it's they don't really have their own independent thoughts at all they're part of the collective and so the interesting thing about this is the writers or whoever went well, what is an individual borg like and so the episode is i picked this one also this is just well, and I and as I say, I think to be fair, you were interested in both of these two. Oh, absolutely, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just there, there were only two I could really think of. But I was <laughs> like, oh, these are, these have to happen. Yes, so for sure. You, you very kindly uh, thought of let me have it. But so they go to investigate a crash on a planet. There, everybody's dead, but there's one survivor, a teenage boy. Except they're all Borg, and they're like, oh. We're totally in trouble because they will never leave theirs behind. They'll reassimilate all the parts and everything. They'll come and find their wounded and pick them up and keep them, which I was like, I find that interesting, actually. That's a more humane, from my point of view, way of looking at it than you would expect from something that is run by a computer. Yes, right. Or as a multiple mm-hmm. comp- collective. They're not going to leave one of their own behind if they're alive at all. So... um but there's a lot of conflict about whether to save him. Oh, guess who's like, well, but we have to save everyone. That's Beverly Crusher. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. She, in the end, it works out. But at the moment, they keep going, do you remember what they were going to destroy the earth? Do you remember that part? <laughs> what are you forgetting here? She's like, he's a boy and he's in trouble. And you're just like, oh, maybe other people don't feel that way. Yeah. However, 
Um, so what they decide is they're going to make Beverly happy for the moment. They're going to put him in security. They're going to cut him off from everything. They're going to, before he's awakened, they're going to, um, you know, disconnect anything that could connect with any kind of a network. And, um, it really kind of gets taken from there because except for Beverly, everybody's completely hostile to him. And you don't see Jordy being mean, saying mean things very often, <laughs> but he's got a tone. He oh, has a man. real tone. Yeah. Cause he's the one who's got to do all the connection when they say he's probably hungry. He's got to set up an electrical feed that will fit onto his arm so he can eat. Um, all the different things that you never thought about. And I was like, this is so br- brilliantly imagined. Yeah. And so mm. as the show goes on, you see this Borg boy dealing with being cut off from the collective. He's never not had the other thoughts. He's, the others are gone, you know. And then everybody else is having to deal with the fact that as he's having to express himself, because no one else is around to tell him what to do or think, they're also changing their own opinion. And it's really <laughs> just wonderfully done, I think. Yeah, it's so wonderfully done. And um, Picard's character, again, is is huge in this because he is furious. You know, I mean, the right. Borg, I mean, uh, not only... They violated I mean, they, him. Yeah, they violated him personally. Um, and I love what Star Trek, I mean, what the series did with that, you know, there's a a scene in the first episode of Deep Space Nine. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, not, not recently. Okay. But it it was fantastic between him, between him and the captain of Deep Space Nine. Um, so yeah. And, uh, but here he's just, he's just, you know, he's personally been violated. Plus there's, you know, they, the the swath of destruction they did to the Federation, I mean, so many people that were killed um, by oh, the Borg. Yes. Um, so, yeah. so his he's like, well, what we need to do is infect these guys with nanorobots and or infect uh, this this Borg with nanorobots and put them back in the collective, and hopefully he'll kill everybody. You know, it'll just infect the whole consciousness, and they'll all be dead. I mean, that's what I feel like is an excellent plan. (laughs) It's a good plan, right? And then Guinan feels the same way. Um, Guinan is uh, her her world had been attacked by the Borg, Um, you know, so she's she's also furious, angry at the Borg. And that's the reason there are just a few of her race left scattered around. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The ones who got away. And she is. you know, Picard is staying away from this Borg. He's not interacting with him at all. He doesn't want to. And, um, but, you know, him and Guinan, I liked the, they were fencing, you know, exercising and mm-hmm. fencing. And, and Guinan shows him, this is what, this is what happens when you um, have compassion <laughs> for something that's going to kill you. And she, you know, she wins this thing by pretending to be hurt. And she's yeah. and she stabs him with the you know the rapier and says that's what happens right yeah. so he's got that on his mind and then um, and then I thought it was really interesting that Guinan who was so without quarter she's like I don't this is not you know <laughs> this is not happening right <clears throat> um, I have no compassion at all meets the Borg 
and talks to him and suddenly has compassion. But that only happens because Jordy gets her to, right? Right, yep. Jordy's telling her, he's saying he has been necessarily around the Borg the whole time. And he's, and, and I think this is so brilliant because Jordy is essentially us. Yeah. I mean, he's hostile. I, I'm, I'm down with doing this virus thing with the nanobots. That's fine. But what we realize is he's scared and hungry and lonely because there aren't any other voices. He's a teenage boy, essentially. He's alone for the first time. And you start, and as he then is trying to make sense of his new world, he'll, you know, we are Borg, us. And Jordy's disgusted with him. And he's going, you're not us, you're you. Mm-hmm. There are no Borg. They're like this, you know. And so so basically they keep going, we've got to have a name for you. We can't just call you you. And so Hugh becomes his name. Mm-hmm. And once you've named something, man, that's it. You're going to yeah. have to keep it. It's just, I don't know why none of them had pets. Uh, Data yeah. wasn't there to go, but no, we named Spot. It's, it's all over, guys. Yes, yes. But because Hugh then is saying, okay, you're bringing up things I don't understand. Mm. What is a friend? Yeah. What is being lonely? Because that's when that's when Jordy's going, man, I'm starting to feel bad about sending him back as a weapon. And Guinan is like, oh, are you freaking kidding me? And he's like... But he's changed. He's different. He's yeah. just like, they do not change. And he's like, well, go talk to him then mm-hmm. before you send him off to do this thing. Because if he can change, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the powerful moment when they're bringing up the big ideas. And they're so brilliant from having everybody hate him. But it's on different levels because of their different experiences. Right. Yeah. And what does it mean for those people's own humanity? Because, um, and I, I think this might get mentioned, but I know I have it as a note at the bottom of the page, so I wrote it down pretty early because um, I was leaving room for all other notes. It says, we're defined not by who our enemies are, but by how we act toward them. Mm, yeah. You know, mm. if we're like our enemies, then we're no better. We, we can't hate them without hating ourselves at that point. Yeah. And this whole thing, everybody's justified. They're totally justified in fearing and hating the Borg. But this one Borg, you have to be sure of what you're hating. Right. And um, from the Borg's point of view, um, it's it's uh, also redemption, right? When you, yeah. when you start to think of a people as... Um, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? As as not capable of redemption, or or not mm, being mm-hmm. a participant in the possibility of redemption, then you've gone down the wrong path. Oh man, that's well put. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, you meet this this one individual, and he's, you know, uh, that that exchange between uh, Jordy and him, where he says uh, the Borg says, um, you know, you're going to be assimilated, right? Resistance is yeah. futile. I mean, he yeah. says as he's looking very small, connected into his electricity, yeah. you know, and uh, Jordy just shakes his head and says, you know, I don't want to be assimilated. And that that was like kind of a revelation for Hugh. He's like, why wouldn't you want to be assimilated? You know, we are quite awesome. <laughs> you know what and I mean? That's, yeah, yeah. And, but that's when you realize 
that for Hugh, assimilation is normal. Right. It's a positive, good thing because he's never experienced anything else. He doesn't even understand how to think about another way to live. And you go, oh. And as Jordy starts to kind of explain this just a little, you kind of go, oh, okay. He hasn't had a chance to even think about it. He's not evil as we're thinking of it. He's just doing what seems like the best thing. He's doing the thing, right. Yeah. And then there's that incredible scene. Well, well, first of all, Guinan convinces Captain Picard to meet the Borg. Yeah, he's like, oh, you too? Yeah, he's like... What is going on? What's yeah, in the water, man? Give me a break. Yeah. It's not right. Right. Yeah. But then um, how he meets him was interesting. He's like, you know, I want you to beam him into my Oh, quarters. that was... And then this conversation okay. that they have, you know, because he wants to meet him alone because he's locutus, you know? Yeah. And this is just going to bring up all kinds of stuff for him. Yeah, but, so that's um, his Borg identity. Exactly. And he so, knows, oh, you're super to- on top. Yeah. I'll do whatever you tell me. <laughs> exactly. And that that is a great scene. Um, yeah. Just loved it. Um, where, you know, Picard's, you know, order him around with authority. And uh, suddenly Hugh says that, you know... But Jordy doesn't Jordy. want to be assimilated. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? He doesn't want to be assimilated. Um, just fantastic. And you then will I will do I, it. And he's like, yeah, no, yeah. I can't. And But it's also interesting as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know what? Without that pressure, and it's because Picard seems so mean. At that point, I went, oh, man, I'm totally on Hugh's side. Because I'm like, shut up, Picard. You're being so awful. <laughs> yeah. But. Without that, not only does Picard not know what Hugh thinks, Hugh doesn't know what he thinks. Yeah. So the times when we're under pressure, having to fight back, or even just suffering from something, those are the moments that crystallize who you are, too, yeah. to yourself. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was great. And then um, they, they really nailed the ending on this one, too. Um, I thought it was perfectly done. Yeah. Where their solution was, okay, you're just going to come with us, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, they they actually gave him that choice. They said, you know, you can come with us or you can go back. <clears throat> but they were willing at that point, uh, let's take this person and mm-hmm. uh, get this person what he needs and uh, we'll find him a life somewhere in the Federation. And um, then Hugh chooses to sacrifice he says, no, I want that. that. beautiful. But I need to go back so that you are not chased by the Borg. Because this will save Jordy. Right. And all of you, but Jordy. Yeah. Right. And I'm just like, the power of friendship and love. I mean, this is, man, I'm tearing up right now. Uh, it's because it's just, it's the power of love. Yes. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it was perfectly done. Just, just really great. And the writer of this one was uh, Rene Echevarria, um, oh, who was involved. No, a, wait, that's a he. It's a he, that's yeah. A he. yeah. Yeah, and he was involved with Star Trek quite a bit, you know, the next generation. He did a lot um, during that. But he's he's got a Catholic background. Um, I'm just looking oh, really? at him on, um, on uh, Wikipedia. I have no idea if he's active Catholic or not, but um, he was, you know, St. Petersburg Catholic High School, Duke University. I mean, Duke's not a Catholic college, but um, he clearly has, he's a Cuban American background. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. But uh, 
terrific, terrific episode. Very deep and, and well done. And we oh, see yeah. Hugh, we see Hugh again. <laughs> yeah. Hugh comes back. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, is they didn't need the virus. The fact that he mm-hmm. could think for himself, and that's what they were saying is, yeah. you know, they'll reprogram him. They'll, oh, man. Yeah. aberrant behavior or thoughts but yeah in that brief moment he'll be connected to the system before it gets figured out who yeah. knows what that will do really great yeah yeah no no that was <laughs> just yeah Brilliant. i truly mm-hmm. well and it's all the freedom to choose yeah you know and love of course and all the other things but at the end that's what he's given yeah. he understands the freedom to choose and that's what's different for his society yeah so very very good (laughs) star trek you just gotta love it Uh oh it's the best most of it it's the best yeah um so yeah so our last episode is the inner light which is uh it looks like the second to last episode of season five Mm-hmm. Just a couple episodes after this one, um, it, after it was I bore. a great season. Yeah, I it think. was really yeah. really good. Um, yeah, in this one, uh, the Enterprise encounters a probe. There's like a probe, and they they're trying to communicate with it or see, you know, what, what is this thing? We don't understand what this thing is. Then um, all of a sudden, there's some type of a connection between the probe and Picard himself. And Picard collapses in the on the bridge, and wakes up in another place. Um, he wakes up, and there's a a woman there who later we learn is named Aline, and she uh, calls him. Uh, what was his name in the show? I can't remember what his name was, um, but she calls him by a different name. Oh, Cayman. Uh, Cayman is oh, that's his name, it. Yeah. and. Um, she she says, you know, oh, you've been sick. You've been sick for a week. And Picard is like, I have no idea who you are, you know. Uh, <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, what the heck's going on? This doesn't make any sense. And um, time starts to pass. And he's he's experiencing this life. And, and he's he's walking around the town, you know, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. They, they're telling him who he is. You know, you, you've clearly had memory loss. Uh, that sure was a high fever you had. That's right, yeah. The so, old high fever uh, The story. old high fever, right. <laughs> so he, he, they say, <clears throat> tell him he's an iron weaver, whatever that is. It's alien. Who knows? That's right. Who knows? <laughs> and um, Picard, you know, again, he remembers his life on the Enterprise, but... Uh, uh, this Aline, who apparently came in, had married a couple years before, and they also have a close friend named Bataille, and they're, um, you know, they're telling him, hey, you know, this is this is your life, this is what has happened in the past, and everything. And so Picard starts to live this life, um, and well, time no starts choice. to pass. Yeah, he has no yeah. choice. There's nowhere. There's nothing he can do. So he he's on a world where there's no like spaceships or communication with space right. or anything like that. They're not really technologically advanced. Yeah. Um they're in the middle of a drought. Yeah. And so it's very deserty looking and you know, um and but colorful clothing. Yes. A, a design <laughs> that I question some elements of, but that's that's fine. Oh. Uh, how, how, did like not, how did we not how did we not mention the um the oh. kimono <laughs> That, that he wore in the previous episode. I have to say, okay, poor Captain Picard, Patrick Stewart, 
what a trooper. Uh-huh. You know, first of all, Captain Picard's like, oh, go in and come in. I was just reading. I'm like, you like to enjoy your time with the crossover kimono top. We've seen this before, <laughs> but it's open halfway down your body. Have you no shame, man? Can't you just tuck it together a little bit? Nope, I'm comfortable with who I am, and so is Guinan. It's fine. <laughs> oh, my like, gosh. This just doesn't seem right. Uh, and then, um, then this, if I'm remembering correctly, isn't this the outfit where it's like somebody had gone riding and went, if I do these pants but with a longer bottom to the leg, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be best. It's going to buff out We're gonna love in an it. amazing way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just like... Really, just oh, robes man. would be better, but fine. Yes. <laughs> anyway, oh, I couldn't I help it. it. It was just like <laughs> I love it. Costume is costuming aside. It was <laughs> uh, it was you know your typical desert, I guess whitewashed adobe type stuff going yeah, on there. Yeah. So, but it, so yeah, and they're not even close to a nearby town, so that if. He, I mean, because when somebody from like their government representative or something comes to have their annual quarterly whatever chat with them, he's having to come for several days to get to them. So he's in the middle of nowhere. Right, right, absolutely. And um, no telescope. Yeah, and he's he's starting to live, and and years are passing. Time is passing, you know, like, uh, you know, so you can imagine, you know, he's been there for a year and he, and he knows, you know, now he's starting to doubt his previous life. He's like, was I even, was I that person? I, I, I'm just so confused about that. And, and then eventually, you know, his wife, you know, who wants to have children and things, you know, starts to talk to him about, you know, when, when am I going to get you back? You know, when am I, when are you going to be fully with me? And, um, he, he finally, makes that decision, you know, and says, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live this life here. And, uh, you know, they have a family, they have children, those children grow up. He has grandchildren, his good friend, Bataille passes away from sickness. And in the meantime, um, they're, they've become aware that the world that they're on is doomed. Um, the star, is uh it's just getting hotter it's it, there's nothing that they can do um yeah it's going to go on the ship every so often mm-hmm. they'll cut to the ship yeah and which i found annoying so i'm going to annoy everybody the same way by <laughs> cutting to the ship but yeah. R- riker in his usual effective well no it's not usually effective but he's trying everything yeah they're blocking the beam and picard almost dies they're you know they're doing all these things nothing's working they're friendly like we're just going to have to let it do what it does yeah we don't know right and um, so we're not allowed to really forget because what they do is they say, well, this probe came from this area where there was a star that went nova. So there's nobody left alive. Mm-hmm. Aren't we told that in the middle of everything? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and Picard is having to, with his homemade telescopes, kind of <laughs> go, everything's awful. And he finds whoever's in charge. He goes, yeah, we know that, but we're trying not to freak everyone out because we can't do a thing about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so then he starts inventing like good sunscreen and making everybody wear hats and things. Yeah, yeah. Which would be necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And and, um, yeah, so all this is happening. And then Picard is getting elderly, you know, he's he's lived a a full life, you know, who knows, 50 years? 40 years. Yeah, 40 years, some long time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's reaching the end of his own life and uh, he. 
he uh, is is watching. I can't remember what he's. Do- oh, they're getting ready to watch a launch. He's going to watch the launch of uh, oh, something. Let me see the launch. He's like, how come I never heard about this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, come and look. You've got to be there. <laughs> yeah, and then Bataille shows up, uh, looking like he did at the beginning of the show, um, and you know Picard is elderly, and um, he he talks to Picard and. And he says, uh, "We're we're launching this probe so that nobody forgets us." And uh, but I think his daughter tells him that, and because mm-hmm. the wife also shows up. Yeah, right. Doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to send. We can't send much, but we can send memories of who we were mm-hmm. to some person. And he goes, and he goes, oh, who? And she's like, I think you know. And he goes, oh, Is it me? It's me. <laughs> it's it me. Was like isn't it was it? Christmas for him. I yeah. thought he was. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm the one it finds, right? I'm the yeah. one it finds. So at this point, you know, if if you're into the story, to for me, it was like this guy just lived a whole life, fifty mm-hmm. years. Yeah. It was like, so his memories of the Enterprise are fifty years old, right? Yeah. But he lived yeah. fifty years, right? And then um, I, I just thought that that was fascinating and moving. And then, mm-hmm. um, then uh, the the thing launches. He sees it launch, and then he wakes up on the Enterprise, and uh, you know, very little time has passed on the Enterprise, and of course, he's lived this whole life in in the time that he was out. He's, he's lived an like, entire life. Oh wait, oh, and you're Will Riker, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Hold I'm trying on. to think of what my life was 50 years ago, you know, um, and how distant that is, you know, and, and just just <laughs> imagining that. It's just like, wow. Um, well, and also the thing I liked that they did where you saw that he really had experienced that time was when he was right before they say, here's what's happening. He's really old and you can see it. And he's acting really old in the sense of um, when Bataille shows up and he's like, well, but you died. And it's like, oh, I know, but here I am again for this. And it's like, well, so good to see you again or something. And his wife shows up and he's like, you too. What's? And so he's got the slower reactions and conception of, unlike the Picard who showed up at the beginning going, where am I? Where? And he's like, he'd have been going, okay, wait, this is a computer simulation. This is a something else. He's just, he's been in it so long and he's genuinely old brained and he's, Truly lived that life. He's truly been immersed. Right. And we know know that uh, for sure because there's a gift left for him, which is this flute that he played, and he knows how to play it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. So That's the other proof. Yeah. So just just amazing, you know. So so this this whole people, this is, you know, it's just full of profundity. (laughs) I mean, you, you think this this entire civilization just passed their knowledge to Picard just of who we were, right? Mm-hmm. And um, now they're gone. And they've been gone for a long, long time. It's like a thousand, thousand years ago years. or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I just think that that's remarkable to think about. Now he's got that. And somehow I imagine he's got to get that out to people, right? So he's, you know, I imagine him writing a book or, or who knows what, what he's going to do to, to, yeah. to convey this information. Cause it's like on him now to do that. Um, well, and it's an interesting yeah. choice for, of course, Picard is who you're going to do this to because he's the hero of the show. But also 
he has a long-standing character development of he loves archaeology. Yes, that's right. He's always doing that. And, of course, this is a living history. This is better than finding all the jars and whatever because he knows them from the inside out. And how interesting of these people to go, well, maybe somebody will find our, our civilization, but here's who we really were. Until you've lived with people, you don't really know them. And mm-hmm. so that's also, uh, it kind of goes along with I Borg. Yes. In terms of knowing the individuals and not just from a long distance knowing these people. Yeah. You care profoundly and understand profoundly in a way you wouldn't. So I could even see him just doing like evenings with Picard or, you know, <laughs> videos or whatever, just yeah. going. And here's what we did here and here's what we did there. Um, of course, we don't. They don't follow through on that because that would ruin the mood. Because at the end, it's just profoundly moving, as you said. Yeah. You're just, mm-hmm. and also, what a gift to him once he kind of recovers from the melancholy. He never would have had that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about children and watching yeah. children grow and, and a grandchildren marriage. and a marriage. Yeah, I mean, it's just like. I mean, yeah, he, he lived a whole life inside his life. You and know? he wasn't having to be a leader. Right. But Ty was the leader. Yeah. He was a faithful, uh, he was smart, he was a good advisor, but he was never in charge. So he was allowed to live like a regular person. Yeah. Amazing. It's just yeah. amazing to think about. But but I, I like how you said, you know, what a gift, because I can imagine some emotions going through him, like, you know, uh, for one thing, you know, they, they took me and made me do this. And then, you know, so some negative feelings. And then the sorrow of having lost all of the people that he loved, right? Mm-hmm. Because he he loved the people that he was with. Of course. And then, um, and then being right back in your life the way it was when you left. Um, wow. I mean, it's just... Just stunning. Uh, to and I would even think just the gratitude for being allowed that experience. And, I would and think that to that, that would be the that would them. be the final emotion. I would to, to me, yeah, would be just simple gratitude for that whole thing. Yeah, and I'm sure it would be complex as it would come and go or whatever. But yeah, yeah it's it's like my life. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky. I've had a really good life. Bad things have happened, but nothing like you hear in extreme cases. And you know, I'm. How could I not be grateful? Yeah, yeah. For that, right? The other thing about this one is, in very much the same sense as Darmok, I think there's not a villain. Mm. No, there's no bad guy. Right. Yeah. You know, at the beginning he's outraged, and everybody on the ship is worried, but it's meant for good, and it brings good. And um, and Darmok was the same. Of course, there was some harm there, but it was to them who who were saying we want to try to do this good thing to the the people of Darmok or yeah. the children of so Ten- the children of yeah. the children of Tenegra or whatever their name was um, yeah. children of Tama I'm sorry um, but the circumstances uh, in one case are forced in this well in both cases they're forced but it just um, you know there's no Borg. There's no whatever that you're yep. trying to defeat or no run Klingons. away from. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, no Romulans, mm-hmm. whatever, no Cardassians. Yeah. Luckily, 
Right. And it's just a lovely episode. I mean, there's not as much to it in terms of us talking about it in that way. But when I got done, it just was haunting. I mean, it was just beautiful. Yeah. That's perfect. That's how I felt too. Yeah. Yeah. There's just uh, this ineffability, that something that's hard to even express, but it was just deeply moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to imagine this this and, life in your life. Yeah. Right. And most stories and movies you have to have, there's a bad guy and this and that, which is, I guess, why they kept cutting back to the Enterprise to show what was going on. But they could have left them out for most of it, really. And um, it, it's a lot like... Uh, in that sense, did we talk? We talked about that movie Chef. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did we? Yeah. Right. A lot of people criticize that because there wasn't a major conflict, a villain. Mm. Really, there was just something to set him on the road, and he could find himself and get in touch with his son. And I was like, for some reason, I love it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the same feel at all as this. But every story doesn't have to have a big bad guy, or you know, uh, sometimes it's a gentle story that's just all there is to it yeah and that's beautiful yeah Yeah. i love it i love it wow yeah well this has been a fun journey wow it really (laughs) has i just love i just love this show so much um yeah yeah it makes me i i love what you're doing to describe what you're doing again is it like every thursday night you said Oh, it, the night during the week will shift depending on when everybody's there but yeah so one night a week we have TV series night, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so Friday and Saturday night, we watch a movie while we eat dinner. Uh-huh. One night during the week, if we can, we watch The Next Generation. Right now, we started off doing this when Rose came from L.A. She'd never seen all the Star Trek uh, yeah. original. And you started with so the original we, series. So we right? started with the original. Once a week, we'd watch that. And then we went on with The Next Generation. Mom was here towards the beginning. We just scooped her up and took her for the ride. <laughs> and she actually will say, doesn't everybody else, did we just watch this episode? Because I remember this one. Oh, we're nice. like, nope. Yep. So she'll remember some of them. And then um, we watch that. We watch... Uh, Parks and Recreation, which mom had never seen and which she Mm. absolutely adores. I love that show too. Yeah. Yeah. And then mom will leave and then we'll watch something for us. Like right now we're going through season two of Doctor Who. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because those are the only times we watch that kind of thing together. So, um, but the Star Trek is the constant thing because when I can't wait till next generation is done because it's been a long time and (laughs) one a week. And not yeah. every week. Right. Um, seven seasons of 30-something shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Like 168 but, um, shows. Yeah. Right. So uh, I am really excited to get to um, Deep Space Nine. But That's yeah, great. we're going to go at least through Deep Space Nine. Who knows? We may or may not try Voyager. Yeah. We probably will. Yeah. Cool. But, Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that's fun. fun. That is way great. That's great. But I'm glad you wanted to do this because these were all things I'd seen a while ago. And watching them in a concentrated form this way, I was yeah. just really able to appreciate how good they were. So right. I thank you for that. Yeah, you betcha. You betcha. I love it. That's great. Yep. I loved it. Uh, love that we did this. So mm-hmm. good deal. Well, okay. Um, next up is some more science fiction, but Christmassy. Of the Christmas variety. <laughs> yeah. So we have a book called Christmas on Ganymede and Other Stories. And it is um, 
let's see who edited this thing. Martin H. Greenberg, of course. Mm. Um, yeah, just I've got so I've got many. it right here. Yeah. So we've got Jack McDevitt, Michael Swanwick, Asimov, Malzberg, John Christopher, Frederick Pohl. Hey, there's a oh the the War Beneath the Tree by Gene Wolfe is fun. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, Frank Robinson, Connie Willis is in there. Uh, Robert Young. She loves Christmas. She's always writing stuff for about sure. Christmas. <laughs> Gordon yeah. Dixon, Paul Anderson, another Asimov, and James White. Fun. This is going to be a hoot. So we'll yep. pick a few stories out of that to talk about, I guess. Sure. You betcha. We haven't talked about that yet, but yep. <laughs> we'll figure out what to do. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, I plan on reading the whole thing. Um, oh, it's, yeah. It's I'm not that read big all a book. Yep. So, right. Right. Yep. So I'll start but that this weekend. When you picked weekend. it, I long ago, I. I think I got it and read it. Then. Oh, good. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah. Great, 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 great. Yep. All right. Well, have a great couple of weeks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving and into Advent we go. Here we go. Advent. Yeah. Toward the incarnation. <laughs> Cannot wait. Cannot wait to. All right. Okay. Have a great one, all. Yeah. Talk to you soon. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>